And the Oscar goes to... picture podcast where we explore underrated or off the wall movies we think are truly blessed i am your host shelby morin i'm your other host sky Payne, and welcome back to another week of sleepover september is that what you <laughs> no i'm sorry I slumber it up. party slumber september. party september get it right that was better slumber party september um and this week you know make sure you don't leave all of your valuable items in a train bathroom so then when you get to New York City you're just stranded this week we're doing confessions of a teenage drama queen the iconic film oh there's not more <laughs> no it's just iconic it's just, I mean yeah it is iconic um <laughs> you're correct uh but yeah and then this week we are joined by a friend of the pod uh, somebody who I would say is probably the biggest Don Bluth stan <laughs> in existence, at least at this current moment, Emma Chapel. Hello. Uh, yes, being a Don Bluth stan is my cross to bear. It's unfortunate when your favorite director has a filmography that's like 80% unwatchable. <laughs> it's really sad. I mean, to the point where you gave a presentation over Don Bluth at my birthday zoom gathering incredible that's right i learned a lot i've sent it to multiple people since then (laughs) i mean it deserves to be seen there was great work put into it It was very informative i learned a lot um watched a video of michael eisner um saying hello a lot you know really shout out to podcast arrive yeah yeah they they provided that video yeah yeah, and yours was like very informative, and mine was like, "Here are the reasons why John Cassavetes and Johnny Knoxville are the same person." Like, <laughs> mine was about tulip fever. So, also very educational. <laughs> yeah, I did not know about like the saga of tulip fever. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. It's, with the, it's with the added jump scare of Matthew Morris. <laughs> My friend's thirtieth birthday. We're doing powerpoints, and I am going to revisit my tulip fever one we'll <laughs> a very see how exciting that goes. prospect honestly yeah Ugh. but before we get too into confessions of a teenage drama queen do we want to do the last movie of the week oh yes um i can go first yes mine is shang chi it is so fucking good guys i was like invigorated i am a person who didn't really like black widow i am on the record black widow was not my favorite um and i was like i'm very excited about phase four and i was very worried that this movie would be like not great but top five marvel movie for me it is so fucking entertaining everyone's incredible everyone is really hot like what a hot cast they really did that for me personally (laughs) i was like thank you so much um i loved it it's really great. The effects are amazing. The fight sequences are so good and it was beautiful. I loved it. The coloring is great. Um, yeah. So go see Shang-Chi. It's worth it. That's good. That's exciting. Especially cause I like really, I have like a love hate thing with Marvel in that like I was so devoted for so long. And then around the time of infinity war, I just never went to see it. 
because of there's a myriad of reasons I cannot get into right now, but I then kind of fell off and then I came back to it right before Endgame and then became obsessed again. And now I'm kind of in the like fatigue era again. And so then when Black Widow was finally coming out, I was like, you have to freaking watch this movie. I just don't have the energy. I don't have the like the yes. the stamina after Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like I just am not in the mood, right? But this makes me actually want to see it. Like I do yeah. want to see this movie. It seems good. Also, I have seen so many rankings recently of the MCU, and I have to tell you, Thor: The Dark World should not be anywhere near anyone's top ten. Oh, if I see that it's again, my, I'm gonna lose it. That and Age of Ultron are like my last two. I do have controversial. Also, they really Shang Chi really said this one is for the people who have defended Iron Man three with their lives, and that person <laughs> is me. They really, I got the best payoff like ever. Like I was like, this is, this is the payoff that I have been waiting for defending Iron Man three on the internet. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Also, I've been, I've really been shocked by like people placing both Ant-Man movies, like surprisingly high. I have them like pretty middling. They're middle. They're very middle. And like Ant-Man and the Wasp could not tell you a single thing that happens in that movie. That that gave me Marvel fatigue. That's the one that. Well, and that was the weird one where they put it like right after Infinity War. So it was like supposed to be like, you know, so you would think, oh, it's this big, important movie. No, because it only invokes the Infinity War stuff at the very end of the movie. (laughs) And you're like, huh? (laughs) Who scheduled this? (laughs) Doesn't make any sense. But Emma, what is your blessed movie of the week? Or you can talk about the Marvel ranking as well. (laughs) Uh, I have no strong feelings about the MCU either way. And actually my, my blessed movie of the week gets into this. It was technically last week, but it's so blessed that I have to bring it up again. Shelby already knows it is art house Hulk. (laughs) AKA Hulk 2003. Yep. Directed by Ang Lee. I was like, did I miss something? I was like, what is art? She's like, what? did I miss something at Sundance? It is actually, when you look at it compared to the MCU, it is, it's an art film. You're right. They will cut to like these long lingering shots of flowers and reptiles in the middle of a fight scene. Like just So like Terrence Malick. <laughs> very yeah. Terrence Malick. And it's actually this very thoughtful mediation on the sins of the father and the, the, criticism of the military industrial complex instead of marvel where it's like no the air force is giving us money to make this movie yeah everything has to be run by them in order to make our little movie here yeah and it's just i love the the deregulated era of marvel yeah where it was just oh ang lee wants to make a hulk movie sure yeah why not we let him and thank god we did yeah, I think it's a very underrated hidden gem. I know a lot of people hated it when it came out, but that's because it's there's not a lot of fighting. It's a lot of like talking and a lot of sadness. And again, shots of nature cut into the middle of the fight scene. <laughs> we And I think that's beautiful. You hire Ang Lee. Like, I don't know what you're expecting here. You know what I mean? Like, Ang Lee makes really beautiful, really lovely emotional movies. And he also is obsessed with frame rate. But, like, I wouldn't, like, go to one of his movies necessarily thinking, like, oh, this is going to be, like, 
Spider-Man or this is going to be like any MCU movie or anything like that. Like I would fully be like prepared to see something very different. Like I just, that's very funny to me that people at the time were like, Ang Lee directing a Hulk movie? Absolutely. We're going to see so much Hulk in this movie. It's going to be crazy. You don't get Hulk until 30 minutes in. Yeah. I remember my cousin complaining about that. Like after watching the movie, he was pissed. Like I have that clear memory of him talking about it. Yeah. We have a full 30 minutes of like exposition, of backstory, of patriarchal trauma. Oh my God. Yeah. It's great. And also Nick Nolte. I haven't seen the movie. I've only seen the clip of Nick Nolte giving a very deranged Nick Nolte being very Nick Nolte. They just, I, I'm pretty sure he just showed up to the set and they're just like, yeah, sure. Do here's here's the concept. Go wild. Run yeah. loose. Run wild, Nick Nolte. Like, like yeah, Nick no Nolte script. playing himself. We stand. Did you know he was people's sexiest man alive at one point? I did. I did. I love that you both said that in unison. I, I I just say this because I think often, like, you know how we talk about, like, your sun sign and your moon sign, blah, blah, blah. I think sexiest man alive can also be very indicative of things. Because my sexiest man alive is Denzel, the year that I was born. I feel like mine was, like, especially bad. (laughs) I'm I'm Googling it. Yeah, I want you both to find it out. Like, I really. I'm, I'm Googling it. Mine is Richard Gere. I mean, not bad. Well, actually, wait, 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 wait. That came out after I was born. So Nick Nolte was the sexiest man alive for when I was born. <laughs> I mean, okay. My, mine is a bit convoluted. Okay. It is. <gasps> wait, is it? Wait, Keanu Reeves was <gasps> retroactively named 1994 wow. Sexiest Man Alive. A scandal. They never wait. had an actual Sexiest Man Alive in 1994. But in 2015, the magazine's editorial director retroactively said, well, for 1994, it was Keanu. <gasps> Which actually, that's that's not what I thought. That's actually a very good one. And that's only wow. gotten better with time. Yeah. Keanu, man. Oh, my God. Lovely. I, wow. That will feed into my blessed movie of the week, um, which it's not the movie he's in, but it's relevant to what I'm about to say. So Is it the movie I, Keanu where they have the cat? No, 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 no. <laughs> Not the cat movie, no. I never saw that movie. I actually saw that in theaters and had a fun time. It's fun. Yeah, I had a good time. I feel like that's a movie that could have only come out when it came out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like, otherwise it'd be straight to streaming. Like it it really is a relic of its time. Definitely. What I was going to say is that I decided late August, early September, I was going to just watch a ton of horror movies. Specifically Mm -hmm. horror movies I had never seen before that were like, supposed to be like on the Mount Rushmore of horror movies, right? Like the really big ones. Like, and I've seen Texas Chainsaw, I've seen The Exorcist. So I got those out of the way. I've seen Rosemary's Baby. I've seen, you know, a good handful, but like not like the really iconic, like, like I'd seen Halloween as well, but you know, I hadn't seen, um, I haven't seen Friday the 13th still. Um, I hadn't seen like Candyman. I hadn't seen a bunch of stuff. And um, so I've been on that journey and my computer has been broken. So I have just been watching a lot of movies, like a movie a day at this rate. Yeah. And my personal favorite um, was Hellraiser, um, which is my Mm -hmm. blessed movie of the week. But the reason why I brought up how Keanu is um, integral to this is that I watched Dracula (laughs) 
an iconic campy movie. Francis Ford Coppola threw everything at it. But my favorite part, of course, is still Keanu, who says Budapest <laughs> in a very deranged fashion. Um, I don't know what Francis was thinking with that casting. I mean, he was the hot guy at the moment, but like having him do accent work, very bold choice on Francis's part. Um, I think it enhances the camp factor. Um, it also seems like he just kind of wandered into scenes similar to Nick Nolte and, and the Incredible Hulk, right? So mm. like, it's not time. it's not the Incredible Hulk. It is simply Hulk. The Hulk. Sorry, I forgot. And it's n- n- drop the not the. even the. It's cleaner. The. It's just Hulk. Yes, sorry. It's just Hulk. That is my mistake. I'm sorry, <laughs> Ang Lee, but I just wanted to give him a shout out because he came up. But Hellraiser is my favorite out of the ones that I've watched so far. I gave it like four and a half stars obsessed with it directed by Clyde Barker from 1987 and the only thing I knew about this movie is like Pinhead I mean that's the thing that everybody knows about Hellraiser is Pinhead I've seen the poster you've seen the images just like the black leather suit with like the pins coming out of a bald man's head right and he's like like on every edgelord's college room wall (laughs) quite literally that guy and um, I just didn't really know though what to expect with this movie. But basically what happens is this guy who is a convict and I guess he's released from prison. He like goes to some country, I cannot remember which one. And he like buys this puzzle box from some random vendor on the street. And he like goes to, the, to his house or their family's house or whatever. And he like is in just one of the random ass rooms and he like opens the puzzle box. And of course what happens is like the Cenobites show up, which is pin, you know, pinhead and all of his little buddies and their little leather mm-hmm. suits. Um, and um, there's some sadomasochism <laughs> and basically it opens a portal to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what ends up happening is this couple moves into the house and they are, you know, like the husband is his brother. And you find out that the woman um, was sleeping with the brother who went to hell. And he basically ends up being revived through like the blood droplets being dropped on the floor. And he's like a skeleton man. And it's like, you watch him slowly go from goo to like being basically a muscle man. And um, the idea is that like, he needs bodies to like bring him back to life. And to hopefully get him out of, you know, the hell situation. Um, and it's really horny and it's wild and fucked I was up. not expecting you to say that. Oh, Same. it's so horny. That's the thing. You don't necessarily think about it. But when you really think about the sadomasochistic part, it's like, of course it's horny. That's the entire thing. They're wearing black leather. Like very horny, like to a level you might not expect. And the effects are fucking bonkers like it's practical effects it's like i would say on the same level as the thing for me in terms of like really great incredible like practical effects that feel real and scary and they're fucked up and like the last 20 minutes i literally was like am i allowed to watch this movie (laughs) like is this legal it was insane i loved every second of it it's so good um and once again an argument as to why cgi just really doesn't have the same weight because it's like when there's a CGI glob in a scene with somebody, it's like, I don't feel a sense of urgency because I know it's not real. But when you have like some fucked up, like like two-headed scorpion 
naked mole rat looking thing running at you about to eat you that like that's real and in the room with the actor like that's terrifying that's the scariest thing in the world and it's so good i highly recommend it if you like a horror movie and you have not watched it do not watch sequels though let's not go there there's so many of them and they're not worth it i i will not watch it but i'm happy that you enjoyed it yeah it's it's killer literally Okay. literally I can't um let's get into confessions of a teenage drama queen which um you know as a child I didn't connect with um until I was like 16 years old and had to move from LA to St. George Utah and then I was like damn Lola made some points <laughs> I saw this movie in the theater when it came out Same. like I was one of those devoted Oh, Lindsay, absolutely. Hillary stands. Yeah. yeah. Totally oblivious to the fact that they were fighting. Okay. You are like the third person who has said this on this podcast that they were it's completely true. oblivious to any feud going on or didn't even like take sides. Meanwhile, I was like, Shelby was Lindsay. very, very adamant about her positioning. I read um, the timeline and everything like out loud on this podcast. Also, <laughs> Hillary Duff was originally offered the role. She of was. Okay, because I have something to say about that. Because when I was watching this, I thought, Lindsay sells this movie so well, even though it's absolutely ridiculous and everything she's saying should not make any sense. And I remember thinking, not knowing that Hillary was offered the role, that if Hillary did this, it would be an actual bad movie. Yes. Because Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to go on on a limb here. I'm going to have a hot take. Hillary Duff is good at physical comedy. She's not good at dialogue. Yeah. No. You're right. You're 100% correct. And Lindsay is fucking good. Like, right? She's like playing this like compulsive liar who is just like <laughs> absolutely off her rocker. And she does it so well. She does it so well. Would you say she's a teenage drama queen? You, you know what, Shelby? I, I would, in fact, say she was a teenage drama queen. Yeah. And my thing is, like, I also, like, listen, I think Lindsay's acting ability is about as good as it can be. I don't think she's an incredible, incredible actress by any means. She's not naturalistic. Like, I really feel like you can always tell she's acting right. every time she's in something. I said this with Freaky Friday. It's the same here. But... I think in terms of her versus Hillary, at least at this age, Lindsay would win out. Hillary oh, just 100%. like, other than Lizzie McGuire, really like comes across even more mannered and even more like she's thinking about the yes. fact that she's acting. You know, I, you know, maybe if I rewatch a Cinderella story uh, for next week, maybe I'll have a different take on that. But Same, I haven't seen it in years. So we'll see how that goes. The current moment, I would say Lindsay has the edge. As and somebody I, who has watched Raise Your Voice in the last year, I can say definitively she does not have the range. Not Raise Your Voice. All I can think about, of course, la, is la, 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 la. <laughs> that. <laughs> Where five different voices come out of her body somehow in the span of 20 seconds. I honestly love how even in the Lizzie McGuire movie, they cut her voice with Haley Duff's. Yeah. Because yes, they're like, whenever Hillary can't hit the note, you got to bring Haley in she'll hit it 
and then have Hillary lip sync it, to it. It's wild yeah. because Haley fully had the voice of an adult woman at the time. And Hillary had such like a little like baby, like teen girl voice in comparison that it's like every time they cut to Haley's voice, it is so noticeable. It's so absurd. I even noticed it as a child. And I will tell you. Same. That is big because I didn't realize that Isabella and Lizzie were two different act- or were the same actress. I didn't realize that. I literally didn't. I had no idea. I was just like, yeah, they got another girl who looks exactly like her. That's crazy. <laughs> Did you also think that like Lindsay Lohan was two different people? <laughs> Are you talking about like uh, the, the parent, parent trap? trap? I yeah. don't think I saw that like as a kid kid. So oh, I don't wow. think I had that. But I will tell you another embarrassing one. I watched the Amanda show and you know, Penelope, her like obsessed, oh, yes. like Amanda's obsessed fan. Didn't realize it was Amanda. <laughs> what I love about the parent trap is years later, they brought the twin back for, I know who killed me. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis didn't know that that was Lindsay playing both parts, by the way. That's like- No, she didn't, which is wild. So when she was working with Lindsay, she basically was like, so how's your twin? <laughs> Lindsay was like, uh, hello? It is just me. Um, She's yeah, that like, good. She fooled Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> um, one of my favorite parts about this movie, I have to talk about this, this adaptation of Pygmalion. Set okay, yeah. Let's get into this. Absolutely. First of all, you know I love an updated version yeah. of old plays. Like, that's my shit. Um, w- I just want to like ask the teacher, like, did she write this herself? Like, did she write all of these songs for? Well, in fairness, the two songs we are shown outside of the Lindsay Lohan original at the end. Yes. Are Stevie Wonder and David David Bowie songs. So. So she just updated the lyrics. She did say she just... She barely even updated the lyrics. Like there's like a pronoun change like here and wow. there. And that's okay. like mostly it. Um, because I believe the Stevie Wonder song, like just the bit that we're shown is like basically identical to the original. So but she really just inserted it in. Literally, this I think is, she does she say- She basically was doing a Moulin Rouge. Yeah, yes. this, is, she, this is also like yeah. um, in third grade for some reason, I don't know if I've ever told this story before. Oh I was God. in a production of Oliver like at like this like summer camp and they were like we don't have we never got the right so we're like we're doing this like kind of illegally so instead of like using the music from Oliver we're gonna do it to Beatles music (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing and I'm not kidding we sang the words like help I need some supper help (laughs) the thing is she says Miss Bogoli literally says that she is just like put like songs in it. She does say somebody the effect of like, she's just added like existing songs. She hasn't written anything. Like this isn't her claiming to write it. But my question is about, okay, well, I have several questions. (laughs) Let me get into the the questions I have about the play itself. Yes, the accent was part of it. But also um, I specifically wrote, um, where is it? And I want to make, I want to make it very clear. I put this in the why it's blessed category. Oh yeah, hell yeah. My questions. So first of all, I wrote, I have many questions about the logistics of the play slash musical and its general rehearsal schedule. When do they have their tech rehearsal? Yeah. What about dress? How are these expensive and massive props and sets being built? They have one choreo focused rehearsal that we see and Miss Bagoli implies that all of the other rehearsals have been bad. 
what is she wearing to rehearse? If you remember, she's wearing like a little skirt. She's wearing really ugly leg warmers and off the shoulder top, very 80s. But also she's wearing one of those like really thin like headbands across the forehead. She basically looks like Supergirl in her like 80s get Yeah, yeah. literally. It's bad. It's really one of the rare misses in this movie, um, along with the the long sleeve tee with the baby doll dress or shirt over it with like the jeans and a hat, cowboy hat, very deranged. Didn't like that. But that was her Joanne era. That was her Joanne era. You're and, correct. And Absolutely. You know, the rest, her art pop could be anything. It really, it really could be. But like, yeah, when do they do tech? Because she's gone for a fucking concert. Right. At one her point. and and Megan Fox, like they both like like leave for the concert. And it seems like they're like at rehearsal and have a concert that night. And I'm like, usually like tech rehearsals are like from like 3 p.m. to like 9 p.m. Like, what is the timeline? How far away from New York are they? And not only that, the costume is with Lindsay at this point. And then when she comes back from the show, it seems to be they have like one or two, like they have like a rehearsal and then it's like, oh, showtime practically the next day. So it's like, they would have had a dress rehearsal in some form or fashion at some point, presumably around this time. And I'm assuming that the dress would have been, like the dress would have been there one moment and then gone the next. Like, I'm just very confused about the logistics of the tracking of the dress, how nobody noticed it was gone. Like, I mean, they're not exactly super geniuses, but then again, I guess Miss Bagoli is a fucking idiot because when she goes into the room and Sam is in there with the dress and she's like, what was that? And she turns and does like the slow pan around, like looking to see if she can see anything out of place. They cut to Sam next to a bunch of wig heads with a hat or a wig on and he's making a stupid face and he's frozen. And it's like, we're supposed to believe Miss Bogoldi sees this and is like nothing out of the ordinary. Like it's a fucking Anna-Barbera cartoon. I think, I think she has like, she's going through some things and she just (laughs) ignores everything. My question is, how much money does this school put into its arts department? Because literally that never happens. You never get a show of that quality at high school. Unless you're an arts focused high school, which this evidently is not. It truly is bonkers. Like when she's performing on stage at the very end and has Eliza Rocks like written up in like gigantic letters that are that are made in lights and like literally a Las Vegas style sign. Yes. Literally. And she has this insane costume that you would never see in a high school production with no, a bunch of dancers her. who all have blue wigs and like she's written an original song, I guess. I just, I don't understand. Not to mention the giant like head statue bust yeah. that swings across the stage like a pendulum. They have, they have the money. Like they have the money. I guess, I mean, I, I guess. Realistically, Carla Santini's dad funneling all that money into yeah. the arts department. Right? Like, because yeah. that's like her, like, you know, that's what she wants to do. So Which I have a like, thing about that. But mm-hmm. I, I also wonder, well, they do show that one part where, my, one of my favorites when Lola is going through the rich neighborhood and she has this whole little thing that she says in voiceover about how like they try to keep riffraff like her out meanwhile when we see her house it's like a very nice like little yeah like, there's three a nice bedroom house. home like come on now <laughs> like I mean I think it just shows 
how different life was in 2003, 2004 before the housing bubble popped. That's Literally. true. It is a we're, time we're, capsule. We're post-housing crisis kids. Yeah, this is a period piece. <laughs> this is like me watching um, Possession and it's like, oh, there's the Berlin Wall. <laughs> you know mm. what I mean? It's the same. It's exactly the same. It's a period in terms piece. Of historical context. And yeah. This, I mean, this is also like a period piece because like Megan Fox's like first film role. Like, yeah. This gave us Megan first Fox. First theatrical yeah. film it's, role. Yeah. yeah. Theatrical Island in the yes. Sun was, that was straight it. to DVD. Like, but I like, think we should all acknowledge that. Yeah. This is the first. This is the first role. Yeah. She primarily was working in TV before this, you know, like small guest roles and things like that supporting roles on tv um island in the sun i would say was probably her biggest most notable role to date at this point the thing is is her role in in island in the sun a mean rich girl is basically the same like yeah. carla San- like that was just like i would say the starting point for carla santini you watch that as a casting director and you're like that girl anytime i need a mean copy bitch, paste school, yeah I'm calling her up. She's perfect. And she plays it to perfection. Oh, and God. Gives Incredible. My favorite performance in the movie next to Adam Garcia playing Stu Wolf. Mm. Who is Carla Santini is, I would say, iconic Italians in film. Yes. Absolutely. She gobbles <laughs> like, the ghoul. She does gobble the ghoul. And she cook a de pasta. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, really? So iconic that she has her own theme music and to the point where when her limo just drives around a corner, they start playing it to just acknowledge the fact that she is present. She and is like, in church. She's, she's so hot and commanding that nobody cares that her insults are even bad. Like Ellen never had a fella. That's the best <laughs> you can do. But like, she's hot and we'll forgive it. I love when she says, I'd love to stay in chat, but I don't want to stay in chat. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that's really iconic. That in my brain. It's great. I mean, honestly, Tony it. Soprano, Carla Santini. She would absolutely be best friends with Meadow. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Her and her and Hunter Scangarello, like, and Meadow, like the three of them would hang out. Like they would all like talk about going to like columbia or berkeley or wherever the hell they all want to go you know like it would be a whole plot line it would be iconic yeah. and like adriana could manage siddhartha if she really wanted to i believe in her siddhartha <laughs> is so funny to me but I've i also just want to say before we get into siddhartha i think what's interesting to me is i look at carly santini as a character and i don't like i think i just I think in real life, I just don't know anyone that's like Carla Santini in terms of like being like the rich mean girl and also being obsessed with theater and musicals quite in the way, like, cause she's like a level of mean that is like surpassed, like it surpasses like the kind of mean theater people you meet, but like it's totally, Yeah. Those, those two things do not compute. You can't be a theater kid and be a gorgeous, popular, rich kid. Those things don't compute. Yeah, yeah, it really doesn't make sense to me on that level. And I think if they had cast maybe somebody else, I could maybe buy it. But Megan Fox is just like in such a league of her own that I'm like, Carla Santini is way too good for this. Like, let's be real. Carla Santini would blow up being in the place so she could like go party with her friends on the weekends and stuff. Like daddy would be supplying the alcohol and they'd all go like go like drink in fucking Carla's theater basement. You know what I mean? Like that is the vibe. And 
Carla Santini is also very much the kind of girl where it's like, everybody's like, oh my gosh, she has her own tanning bed. Like that's how rich they are. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's absurd. And that's, I just don't buy it. That she the thing is how mean girls came out like the, the same year or the year after. And it's like, okay, that makes more sense. That's a teen movie for teens. This is a teen movie for kids who are still in middle school and think that this is what high school yes. is going to be. Yeah, hundred percent. So you're so right. It also makes sense as to why her whole bit as like a, a mean girl, like a mean popular girl is doing DDR and being really good at it. Like that's her old bit. Like She's so obsessed with it. And I'm like, that is something that would be cool in like middle school. That's not something like a high schooler would be cool. Like yeah. for, you know as, I mean? as somebody in middle school who put hours into Dance Dance Revolution in my basement on the PlayStation 2. And that was the only game I was allowed to have because it involved physical activity. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Like, I understand that. But then by the time I'm in high school, I'm like, no, this is stupid. I'm not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And like the fact that like everybody's like gathered around watching. watching like is this is like event. an event. Yeah. It is a privilege to watch Carla Santini do her little dance dance revolution. And like, she's threatening people there. It's like, oh, you want to challenge me? You know what I mean? Like, it's like all intense and it's absurd. And then she's like jumping around like the bar and like doing, I don't even know. Like, it's like that scene in Elf in the mail room. And he's really drunk and he's like dancing on the table. That's like what she starts doing on the dance dance revolution platform. Yeah. She not only is doing this DDR thing in a scene, but it's an integral scene. Like a plot point is revealed yes. during, during the DDR. Lola gets up there and that's when we get the whole conversation about like, yeah, my dad, who's the lawyer for, for Sid Arthur, like they're having a reunion or a final show. Sorry, not a reunion. They're having a final show in New York and I'm invited to the after party. And like, it's like a whole thing. It's that's incredible. When- Lola lies. She's like, yeah, yeah I got tickets her- too. I just, think- I am literally watching this and I put in my notes, this is the plot to a goofy movie. <laughs> <laughs> literally though. You're so right. And like, I, it's so funny. Cause like, I feel like every school does have those girls or guys at my school. There is one of both who just like lie about everything. Oh yeah, for sure. It's just like, these are like easily provably false. Like I don't know why they love to lie, but I was like, Lola, girl, like you're pulling yourself in a real deep hole here. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's one thing to be like, my dad's dead, you know, when he doesn't come around, like that's easy to kind of brush off for the most part, especially if like, well, I mean, like in terms of like up until he shows up in the movie, it's like Ella, like, it's not like Ella's parents are like, Ella is like hanging out with her mom a ton and they're having conversations about like family life. It's just her and Lola hanging out. So it's like, that's pretty easy to like maintain a lie. And then it's like, um, you know, I, I mean, it's not like she knew her in her former life. It's not like she has any other friends to rat her out that are from New York, right? So it's just, yeah. that's kind of easy. It's not a good lie. It's a bad lie. It's also a really, like, it's a huge lie in the sense that, like, that's not something that you should lie about. But it's also, like, 
easier to get away with than, yeah, we have tickets to this concert that is going to be sold out in five seconds. And also, not only that, we have an invitation to the after party, which would be impossible to get unless all of the shenanigans in this movie happen exactly as they happen. Right. And like at one point, Lola, when she's like, tells her mom, like, what connections do you have other than the phone? Like, clearly you're, you're not connected. So like, why lie about this? Yeah. And I guess the idea is that like Lola is so desperate to be the main character and to romanticize her life that she'll basically make it happen, you know, regardless Sure, but also like movie about a pick me bit. (laughs) Yeah, literally. (laughs) She she is something. I mean, she is a drama queen. She's a teenage drama queen, and these are her confessions. (laughs) Wait, wait a second. What if confessions by Usher? These are my confessions. Confessions. But it would make sense because the content of confessions doesn't apply to this movie. No, it does not. But like I also, you know, she's, did this movie, she's, I think this movie came out before Confessions. Oh my God. Yeah. Around the same I'm time. Do, because I'm, there was that period. I'm going to look it, it up. Or at least it filmed before Confessions. Where, okay. This movie was released February 17th, 2004. Confessions was released March 23rd, 2004. So it wouldn't have happened so, regardless. There was some crossover. There was some crossover. Because I do remember like going to see this at the movies and then like a few weeks later my friend be like oh my god usher's album yes. you have to listen to it it's yeah. so good yeah meanwhile i'm in fourth grade and i'm <laughs> listening to confessions by oh usher. yeah me in sixth grade being like this is a fucking banger <laughs> yeah i'm like listening to um oh my god what is that song um burning burning is that it is that what it's called let it burn let it burn yes thank you let it burn. i an iconic song to me personally and i'm like this is the gr- like I have not experienced life like this, but this is the greatest heartbreak I've ever experienced. Like, I just, like, I understand where Usher's coming from. And I'm like, what? Seven, eight? Yeah. Right? Sleep surge. You're like, he's Hannah Horvath, the voice of the generation. And his generation is seven years old. (laughs) Like, completely, yeah. But, um, you know, I, this movie... What I, what I find interesting about it is that like Lola really as a person is very unlikable. I don't think she's, <laughs> she's like yeah. so easy to dislike and she's kind of obnoxious because she lies all the time. And she's always doing that. Like, I have to be the main character. I'm not like other girls thing of like, I'm so tortured. She literally is like, I am a flamingo and a flock of pigeons in my family. Right. Like to let us know that she's different with a capital D. Right. And that is her entire thing. She's constantly waxing poetic about really stupid things. And she's always going on about like, like, Oh, Sid Arthur being, great poetry you know Stu Wolf is the greatest poet of He's all time Shakespeare which wait this is a really great segue did you guys know that Adam Garcia the guy who plays Stu Wolf was in Kiss Me Kate an adaptation of a Shakespeare play on the west end with Hannah Waddingham who plays oh, wow. Rebecca in Ted Lasso I didn't know that okay also question because I didn't look this up is Adam Garcia British yes yeah okay because I was not finding that accent convincing at all that's why I was so confused because I was like he is British so like what is this weird accent he's doing I think it doesn't help that he's drunk for half of his screen time so the accent comes across as really forced yeah in a sense but no it's like his real accent and I think he gives a very good um 
drunk performance. I think one of my favorite drunk performances, particularly when he's asking for the deluxe hamburger platter. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. I think about that line a lot. He's like, I'll have the deluxe hamburger platter, you know, like very, <laughs> that wasn't a very good impression. That was, that I was think, beautiful. one of my worst. Yeah, that was really good. But not quite my Bob Hoskins, you know. But, no. Um, I really... I really appreciate him in this movie. Um, that performance is great. I enjoy it. The problem I have with Stu Wolf, one, this is actually a problem. I just said one, cause that's, I do that. Um, I would say that if this movie were made now, Harry Styles would play this part. Oh <laughs> There's yeah. Question about it. Absolutely. You see that crochet tank top? I mean, and it is like very yeah. wonder. I literally have like a note that I was like, how very one direction of them to like, break up and like have a fight and all that like oh yeah but you know harry styles isn't like stumbling drunk out of his you know brownstone and then like (laughs) picked up my two girls but i (laughs) it could happen i guess it's happened on wattpad i'm sure but yeah i mean the thing that got me was these girls are 15 yeah yes they are like babies yes they're and like truly children and like Lindsay, he is like 35 yeah like yes like, it's so wild to me that that is, like, the plot of this movie. But the thing I was going to say, too, is that it's wild because this will get into something else I have, I, like, I think is blessed about this movie because it's so cursed. The fact that Sam, as a character, does not exist. He is so dry. I would argue the driest character, like, love interest in, like, oh, a teen. He, he is literally nothing. <laughs> He's nothing. So okay. Body. And you also need to know that his actor, Eli Marienthal, is the voice of Hogarth in The Iron Giant. Yeah. He's also the kid in Country Bears. He's also the kid in Jack Frost. He was also in American Pie 1 and 2. And then he quit acting after this movie. (laughs) It's hard to come back from a role like Sam. Yeah. I mean, it really is like absolutely nothing. There is nothing to give. Like, even if he wanted to give, he couldn't give. You know what I mean? Like, there's just nothing to it. The character literally only exists to take the dress and hide it. And it's like the love interest stuff is so tacked on at the end that it, like, doesn't even compute. To the point where I remember thinking, like, before I rewatched this, like, months ago, I was like, oh, yeah. Um, I remember Sam being, like, a real cutie and, like, I really wanted them to get together. And then I rewatched it, it was like, no, they have no chemistry because they do not talk. They do not know each other. This is like a five second flirtation that somehow is supposed to bookend this movie and I'm supposed to be excited about it. It's like, I don't I care. I feel like in an alternate universe, we have like a 500 days of summer where like Sam is the main character and Lola is the manic pixie dreamer yeah. who like upends his life. Totally. And that would be a nightmare of a movie, but it would give his character something. This is nothing. And like to the point where like Sue Wolf, even though he's a grown adult, I'm like, they have more chemistry. Like there is something brewing here, which it's inappropriate and I don't like it. I mean, we already talked about this with Freaky Friday and like the Chad Michael Murray being an adult of it all. But like, it's like those two have like some sort of chemistry, whether or not it's appropriate, I'm not going to get into. We already know how I feel about that. But like, there is more there to root for than the fucking Sam because he does not exist. He means nothing to me. And like the whole thing is that this entire movie is predicated on the idea that she has built up Stu Wolf so much in her mind in the way that like a 15 year old would 
with their fave. Like she is on Sid Arthur Stan Twitter posting fan cams in her free time. You know what I mean? Like, she is like defending like Stu Wolf does something horrible oh and she's she like defending is, him like a Johnny Depp stan on she Twitter. She is on oh, the yes. internet. She is there. She's going for it. She is like on when she Reddit says it defending No, him. he's not a drunk. He's haunted. Yeah. <laughs> she literally says that. It's so wild. And it's so funny and to she- me. Like I forgot that like Sam like existed in the movie without like before I was rewatching this. Like I literally forgot that he was a character. And then I was like, yeah. oh yeah, there's like this whole subplot. So did the filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, literally tacked on at the end. It fades like her dancing with Stu to her dancing with Sam. And it's like, oh yeah, hey. and Sam. I guess um, I'll date him. Also, this screenwriter wrote Cadet Kelly. Oh, wow. Also wrote for The Golden Girls that. and The Carol Burnett Show. Oh, Jail wow. Parent is her name. Um, really iconic. That is a wild resume. The director yeah. the soundtrack hand. definitely gives me Cadet Kelly vibes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where like- I'm a one girl it revolution. Has a song by Super Chick, yeah. a band that like only existed in my mind to provide music for Disney properties. Yeah. Yes, 100%. That's, I mean, that's completely fair. It makes sense. Um, the director, on the other hand, um, is interesting. Sarah Sugarman is her name. She is, I would say, probably the first woman director I ever knew about because I watched the behind the scenes on the DVD. I love that. For this movie as a child. And I've talked about this before, but I would fall asleep with like the commentary on for movies as a child. Like that was the vibe, right? That explains everything about me now. It really does. Along with finding out Marty Scorsese, um, you know, like just finding out about his general existence through Shark Tale and then realizing later he was a director. <laughs> like that was a real journey for me. Michael Imperioli found out about him because of Shark Tale. I knew he was on The Sopranos because of Shark Tale. Like, and I got around to finally watching The Sopranos this year. That's a journey. But I found out about her because of this movie, because she's the director. Um, the thing about her is that her filmography is really not substantial. Like she's yeah. directed, I would say four or five movies, but other than this one really do not exist. Um, like literally you go on Letterboxd and it's like 15 reviews, maybe max for most of them, except for like this one. Um, although her most recent film that she directed uh, was in 2013. And I only bring this up because it involves a certain patron saint of this podcast. Gina Gershon? Gina Gershon. Um, it wow. was a movie called House of Versace. She I is playing Donatella Versace. is a Canadian movie. And it is based around the exact same era as American Crime Story is based around. So it's based around the assassination and all of that. But wow. it came out five years before American Crime Story, the assassination of Gianni Versace. Run her her chat, Brian Murphy. Ryan Murphy, did you watch that movie? <laughs> Ryan Murphy was one of five people who watched that movie. It was like, I know what I got to do next. And this movie was filmed in Canada too. Yes. It was because it was filmed in largely in Toronto and many of the places it was filmed are places that I live very close to. We stand. So the <laughs> Grand Central Station, that's Union Station. I, that's where I go when I need to get a train to the airport. <laughs> the, the, the auditorium where Sid Arthur's playing their final show, which like you'd think would be like a stadium show. That's the Winter Garden Theater. That's where you go to see Come From Away. <laughs> next door, that Toys R Us is next door. Now it's a home sense. And like, I was in there a couple weeks ago buying a pair of oven mitts. 
I tried to see Come From Away when I was in Toronto, but it was sold out and I was very sad. I, you know, and the funny thing is, is when I went to like the IMDb trivia page, just to like, see if I can find any juicy nuggets I Mm. missed out on half of, I'm not kidding you. Half of the trivia page was just referencing specific Canadian landmarks and um, Toronto landmarks in the movie. It was just like, yes. And the high school that she goes to is actually blank and blank, blank, blank. And it was like, literally 90% of it and then the rest was just like you know like this is the next movie after Freaky Friday for Lindsay Lohan you know (laughs) yeah the suburb scenes were almost certainly filmed in Mississauga which is the like suburbia just outside of Toronto yeah the shopping mall is definitely a mall in Mississauga that I've never gone to because literally why would I go to Mississauga (laughs) it's the the Aaron Mills Town Center yes there was also a, a fun fact about the lockers in the um, gym locker room. Okay, and it yeah, was connected Zola to a different Lola, movie. Like, almost commits murder. Yeah, like she literally, like, are you okay? Like, please go to therapy, Lola. Like, you got a lot to work through. I, but it was specifically connected to a different movie. And now I have to look it up because it's going to bother me. And I was like, why? Like, what? <laughs> Hold on, let me look it up. Let's see. Oh man, tough break. 4.7 out of 10 stars in IMDb. Yeah, so nobody sad. liked this movie. It was a, you know, modest financial success, but critically um, didn't do well. It got like a 37% of Rotten Tomatoes, I believe. And that's why we need more women in film criticism. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because they don't appreciate, yeah. like this movie, like if you're looking at this to be like a Citizen Kane, like of course it's not going to be a Citizen Kane, but are you entertained throughout? Hell yeah, you are. Okay, I found it. So the color of the lockers in the high school in the movie are the normal everyday locker colors at King City Secondary School um, in Ontario, one of the two high schools the high school scenes were filmed. The second school where the movie was shot had to have the lockers painted to match. These same King City SS lockers can be seen in in movie, this is how it's written, in movie, To Die For, the Gus Van Sant movie starring Nicole Kidman. (laughs) How random, truly. It's very random. Like really, that was, I think why it stuck out to me because it was a movie I'd seen and I was like, very strange. Why are we noting this? Like truly. What, what they need to do is get get them, get those lockers to a Planet Hollywood. I know only like three <laughs> Planet Hollywoods exist anymore. Give go, go to the one in Orlando that people actually still go to and put the lockers from Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen and To Die For. I also do want to note something that's like minor, but I think it's worth mentioning. And then I can get into the differences with the book just because I think it's kind of interesting. But first of all, I don't know if you noticed this, but anytime you Google this movie and you like read about Lola specifically, you might notice the last name for her changes depending on the source that you're looking at. So in the book, this is what I found out in the original. I read, I read the book. I bought wow. the book at a Scholastic Book Fair wow. after the movie came out and I wrote a book report on it. That's incredible. Okay, wait, hold on. Wow. We, we have the scoop. We have Sclusies right here. We yeah. don't even know it. But like her last name in the book, correct, is Sep. It's C-E-P, yeah. Sep. Yes. Which is not like a last name. Like that's, whose last name is that? Who came up with that? Yeah. That is like when you, it's like the classic story of like my grandpa came to Ellis Island and then like they cut off part of the name. Like that's like the that's kind of That's what I was just about is. to say. Like that's absolutely the only way they could have possibly had that name. Bizarre. 
And then in the movie, and I can confirm because I watched this on the DVD, so hard-coded subtitles officially released by the Walt Disney Company, her last name in the movie is Step, S-T-E-P-P-E, Step. And they call her that throughout the movie. Nobody says Step, it is Step. And it's listed on the Wikipedia page. It is listed like in official materials, things like that. But then you look everywhere else and it's Sep. Like the IMDb, I and think occasionally has on, it written there. On the subtitles, it said Sep at one point. And I was like. as in, I think, yes, there is like a mistake yeah. in one place or the other. Because I remember that coming up in the last time I watched it. And I was like, who? I was like, who's Lola Sep? Is that the, like the other girl from from Parent Trap? Like, is, that- is that? That's the other one. What's the other one? That's the other girl that they keep locked up, you know? But- I um, but yeah, so like (laughs) the last name thing was kind of wild to me because like I said, not a last name, but then I looked at the the differences with the book. So the most notable one, and Emma, feel free to add any if you like remember this. I mean, I read it in like fourth grade, but I'll try and remember. (laughs) If you remember anything. (laughs) Really dig deep here. Okay. Like I'm really counting on you. Um, There's, you know, for the most part, the plot just based on what I read largely identical in terms of like how it plays out pretty much the same thing I think Siddhartha is Siddhartha in the book if I remember correctly just based on a quick read um, which I found kind of interesting but so the biggest one is that when they go to see Stu at the party he comes out drunk and they go to the diner, but he climbs out of the bathroom window while they're at the diner. That's the thing that happens. It's not just like public intoxication. He throws something at somebody and then like they get arrested, right? And then at some point, Carly convinces Mrs. Bogoli to hold the Pygmalion production in her mansion. Wow. Like, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. It's like really random. And also that doesn't make any sense. No. Carla has a lot of sway and power and a lot of money, but I don't think after all of that, because this is late in the book, there is no reason for them to ever hold it at her mansion. They've already rehearsed no. everything and teched everything at yeah, like the school. You, you have an auditorium, do you not? Right. Yeah, like that's the whole purpose also, of it. Like, I, I just like, I don't understand like, you just all the sets are there you'd have to move everything that'd be a really long painstaking process unless there's some dark money going on with carlos santini's dad and there's something we don't know about you know blood diamond somewhere or something you know like i don't know and i don't know how the school comes into play and all of that you know i'm not um, well he he, there is a reason he's funneling all that money into the art department yeah (laughs) Listen, I'm not John, John Grisham. I, I can't come up with that plot. But And then there's the fact that, like, Stu never shows up at the end of the book, as he does, you know, in the movie where it's, like, the big... The yeah, I mean, that's more ending. of a movie ending, like... Yeah. Which I like definitely. that ending. I think it's it's fun. Plus, you get Megan Fox falling into a fountain out of disbelief and jealousy. Oh, my God. What a fucking scene. I love it. I do love, like, there's so much, like, random physical comedy in this movie. Like, when they are all, like, running to see the cast list and just, like, wreaking havoc on the school, the poor For no reason. For no reason. Like, just go read the cast list. But it's, like, so funny to watch. Like, it's so wild. They treat that shit like it is American Ninja Warrior. Like, they fully are, like, dodging shit they are pushing trash cans over. They're throwing like tapes on the floor. Yeah. I Pure chaos. The fact that nobody came out and was like, hey, stop fucking around. 
like, yeah like why didn't anyone yell. yell at them they are being loud they are running they aren't just like walking around. they are sprinting to get to this castle is it a saturday is it a friday i've never understood what day it is when this is happening it has to be a school day because and they're in really really early like did they get up at like 4 a.m to come to school to do this like it, it's so wild um in in my high school experience it, it's always posted after school yes at like three yeah three thirty. and then you, know? you can like go home and like kids can process i, I get never really cared it. i also never yeah. really cared because i never i was like whatever i get what i get um but megan fox pretending like she didn't want to be eliza is so funny to me that is very funny she's like i got the part i wanted to try and psych her out yeah. and then it's like that doesn't really work when she's reading the cast list after you and then finds out she got the role that she knows she was fighting with you over like it doesn't make any like her trying to like jedi mind trick it she like, really, really yeah <laughs> like she's gonna find out and not only that i didn't understand the whole rushing to see the cast list thing when it's like regardless you're gonna find out you gotta roll one way or the other it doesn't really matter who sees it first mm-hmm. like what is the benefit of rushing other than like you get to see it first okay but like technically one of you is gonna have to see it second right like unless you're yeah. both standing shoulder to shoulder there's no point like you're gonna see it at almost exactly the same time like literally the only reason why carla santini is doing it so she can like mo- like do some mind games on lola that's the only reason <laughs> literally well i i do like the quote from ella like it's a throwaway line that it was really funny that i had to write it down where she goes two of her nannies had to be institutionalized <laughs> nicola pelt's realness <laughs> not nicola peltz oh my Anytime god Anytime nicola peltz comes up i all i can think about is one the last airbender mess where she played katara and two her literally pushing a nanny down the stairs like that to me absurd that is like she would be carla santini in real life she was absolutely you're right Although Carly Santini, this is a, not to get back into Carla Santini, but really quick, I also find it kind of absurd that her father is the lawyer for Sid Arthur, but they live in New Jersey. Like they live in not even like the capital or anything or like a really affluent city. They just live in like a random like yeah. suburb city. Like I don't really. Right. Like how far away is this from the city? Because they're train the train ride that Lola and Ellen take that like they're like getting ready on seems like a long train ride. It is a long train. They have plenty of time to do their entire makeup routine. And you know it's long because they mess up several times. And then by the time they get off the train, their makeup is perfect. So they ha- they were fucking it up in there. And then they were cleaning it off. That scene is really iconic to me. Like that it is, is like- iconic. It's very good. With the teasing of the hair, I always think of the teasing of the hair. That in particular yeah. always sticks out to me. And the like messed up makeup and them just like staring and it's so good. All the powder. It's great. Think of that too. Also, the first time I ever realized the song in the background of the scene was saying something about shaking your coconuts um, until the milk comes out or something. And I was like, hold the fucking phone. <laughs> like, and I say a lot of things are like, like I've said it over like Freaky Friday where I was like, this is kind of inappropriate for a Disney movie. At least like, I'm shocked they let this through, right? But that is the one thing where I'm like, this is beyond the pale. Why is this in this movie? <laughs> Especially when everything else is so like all the other songs in this movie are very appropriate. Literally. 
an iconic soundtrack. And I would say probably oh, absolutely. the soundtrack for me. This, oh, this is yeah. not to bring it back to Shark Tale, but this and Shark Tale were my like number one and two soundtrack. This soundtrack was really fucking good. Like this soundtrack was so good. Simple There's plan. A lot of songs. Oh, that's also, I have to say this, this movie counts as Canadian content. The, <laughs> the fact that it was filmed in Toronto. Yeah. The fact that Alison Pill, notable, famous Canadian actress yeah. is playing a major role. And the fact that Simple Plan is the score to your emotional climax moment. I didn't know that this they were Canadian, Canadian and I love that. Oh yeah. Oh, their, their lead singer's name is Pierre. They're Canadian. Oh yeah, that's very Canadian. Yeah, Pierre like Bouvier or something like that. It's like- Pierre Bouvier. <laughs> Like very, 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 very French Canadian, you know, like, but yeah, no, that was the the particular song that really stuck out to me because I was like this, once again, it's like Let It Burn by Usher and this song. I was like, I've never felt so many emotions, you know, Mm, that needle drop when it came on because I hadn't seen this movie since I was a child. I burst out laughing when Perfect by Simple Plan. It is so absurd <laughs> now. Drop. Like it, you hear it now, incredible. it seems like a joke. Again, but remember, this time, is a period piece. Like when was, we, in 2004, when you are sitting in the backseat of your parents' car, listening to Simple Plan on your Walkman. Looking out the window. Yeah. It's it serious. Like, it's so funny how Simple Plan was our go-to in emotional film moments because I remember I'm just a kid life is a nightmare also be a big part of cheaper by the dozen yeah yes it's just yeah we were just like that was our emotional kid moment soundtrack to the point where when they did like the kids from cheaper by the dozen did like a you know like then and now thing on tiktok that was the song that they played over yeah a really formative moment in time for me was listening to that song. But also you have Nikki Cleary, who I never worked again, presumably, doing one, two, three. A great song, a perfect little like early 2000s pop song. I'm obsessed with it. It's so good. Um, there's also a really good song by Lilix on there that like- Canadian content, baby. Wow. It's the song on there is very, very good. I just re-listened to it and I was like, no, this like works on like an actual level as a real song that you could just listen to. To the point where I had the thought a few days ago where I thought Swedish pop girl group play and their iconic hit, I Must Not Chase the Voice should be covered by Olivia Rodrigo. I also listened to that song and went, Olivia Rodrigo should cover this song too. I do want to say, by the way, um, it is wild to me that Carol Kane is in this movie. And a wild cast. This movie a is wild. a wild cast. I, and I listen, she's giving a performance that is way above the pay grade of this movie, <laughs> comedically. Like, really is so incredible as Miss Bogoli. Like, watching it as a kid, I'm like, oh, Miss Bogoli's funny, whatever. And like, I don't know, I don't have any concept of who Carol Kane is because I'm a child and yeah. Carol Kane is not in children's movies, traditionally speaking. So then I'm watching this as, as an adult and I'm like, wow, how special that they got Carol Kane to be in this movie and she's giving such a she, fun And she's having the fucking time of her life. When she's it's pretending to play really- the piano when she's yeah. auditioning, it gave her all. Yeah, it really made me think of Alex Borstein in Lucy McGuire movie, yes, like yes. that same energy same where energy. it's a comedic actress just giving everything to a role that doesn't really deserve it. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And 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 is like a kind of role where it's like, 
oh, we're putting this really great character actress into it. And like the kids at home aren't going to appreciate it, but like the parents at home might and be like, oh, I, hey, and guys, she's a shrew. <laughs> <laughs> and I like distinctly remember like when I saw the Wicked National Tour, like she was in it. And this was like a year after Confessions of the Teenage Drama Queen. I was like, oh my wow. God, it's the teacher from like, like it's that was like, like that was like the first thing that I like connected her in my mind to and now as an adult I'm like wow I can't believe that that is like what I knew her of I mean it really I mean knew her for the same reason same thing with Jamie yeah. Curtis we knew her because of Freaky Friday we didn't know her because of you know Halloween. trading places yeah. or Halloween or anything no and like um she but she's so great she's so funny her line deliveries are killer in this I just I love how weird she is I love that like her hair always looks like it's in curlers but it's not like it just like she's like kind of like a poodle like throughout the majority of the movie and I love like how silly she is one of my favorite lines is when she goes children press your bars to all of the kids with the macbooks and the orchestra pit. yeah the like, fact that the orchestra is like done with like just a million macbooks <laughs> like what is the concept of this where are they having like, what kind of chain smokers ass show is this vegas i want to see your fucking heads and then like it starts playing you know um live it just enough for the city <laughs> i can't and like the thing too is like where where are they plugging in all of these macbooks in yeah, the are they not gonna pit? run out of battery halfway yeah. through the show for real like and like are these all their own personal macbooks is the school loaning this did carla santini's dad's money just like fund these macbooks like i don't we know it we know that's the answer and like are they actually like playing music off of their computer via like a synthesizer program or is it like a case of like they're all pressing play and they just have one instrument on like garage band that they're all playing in unison <laughs> like they just have one pre-recorded track it's they hit wild. play and everybody <laughs> instead of putting all the tracks into one thing <laughs> like i have a lot of questions but she's also, so great <laughs> those macbook speakers are not carrying yeah no, the whole there's no way none of them are plugged in like like what is the acoustic situation there wasn't blue like was there bluetooth in 2004 i don't know but here's if the it thing was, you it can was like only connect one inadequate. thing at a time yeah so, so true. Like, you have like 24 macbooks how are you connecting? you can't connect all of them to bluetooth that's just making sense it's supposed to be not then literally no def- definitely not in 2003 <laughs> it just, it's like the logistics of this are driving me crazy like what and there's so many other things in this movie that don't make any sense, but for some reason, I'm now hung up on the MacBook situation in this movie. It's wild. It's truly wild. I also just have to say, the like, and I kind of brought this up earlier, but the ending song also doesn't make any sense because all the other songs that were shown, I guess the only other two were shown, are contemporary existing songs written by, you know, geniuses in their field. And then this last one is about like Eliza. I, I guess it's supposed to be technically about Eliza being but a it's drama really not. queen, but it's not. They were like, we need a song for the soundtrack. We need a pop radio single. We need this to hit number one on Radio Disney. And she's performing directly to camera versus the rest of the movie and the rest of the performances on stage are yeah. not done to camera. They are just like performed like in the scene as they would as if it was an actual school play, right? Like I made a note of this. I said, what is the point of this like 
encore closing yeah. number? What what is it? <laughs> and like I even Googled how old is Eliza Doolittle <laughs> to make sure she was like a teenager. She's 19. Yeah, story. she's like young. Yeah. That's like the only way that it really applies is that she was a teen. I also enjoy how that how they converted the, the Cockney accent to the Brooklyn accent. Yeah. Like which is those are my quick voice. They literally have like, what is she doing? And it's not even like me doing a bad Brooklyn accent. It's not even like me doing like an impression of, I don't know, like Dustin Hoffman in Midnight Cowboy. It's like literally just like her making mouth noises that do not compute. Like she says like New York. Like that's not, nobody says that. What are you talking about? Can we just also talk a little bit more about her New York journey? Um, Mm. There is a point where- The breakfast at Tiffany's opening- yeah. In general, like you have two really heightened stylized sequences and the, that, and then the scene, well, no, there's three technically. There's that, the, the Marilyn Monroe scene, which I wrote down a very funny um, IMDB little tidbit about. And then the dad. There's scene. much to unpack in that Marilyn Monroe scene when you know how much Lindsay Lohan's life has turned out since then. Yeah. And her yes. obsession with Marilyn Monroe. I'm like, this is where it started. Literally, I was thinking that. I was like, wow, like this is kind of like, it's hard to watch now at this point, like knowing what we know now. Yeah. Remember when she like, she had a tanning line and a leggings line and they were both named after like Marilyn Monroe somehow. God, yeah. What a dark, dark time. Truly. But uh, it says, in the scene of Lola's fantasy during rehearsal, she tributes to Marilyn Monroe. The song played is also Monroe's song from the film, Some Like It Hot. Monroe is very well known for owning her sensuality and using the idea of the male gaze to her advantage in acting and reaching the fame she strives for. This is also alluded to with Lola by the way she presents her confidence in herself throughout the movie. It's like, uh, why are you writing this? She's 15! I know, right? Absurd. Although I did have the thought, the whole Stu Wolf thing, because this ties into the New York stuff. It's like, let's be real. One, at that party she's going to, people would be doing coke all over the place. And Lola would absolutely be the girl who is there also doing coke with these adults. And Ella is looking the other way. Like, I do not see it. (laughs) And then secondly... Sue Wolf and her would start a really inappropriate and awful relationship because that's the kind of rock star he is, and he wouldn't reveal it to the public until she's 18. That was it would very be a real Hillary Duff Joel Madden situation. Yes, 100%. And that relationship was public basically from day one. Like, that's what's really yeah, she was like 16. That. Yeah, yeah, she was 16, and it was a whole thing, and everyone was like, Oh, yeah, look at this relationship. And as a kid, of course, you have no concept of that, you don't think about things like that, and then it's like when you get older and you become an adult it's like who no one said no in this scenario and it terrifies me that this susan just duff was not giving us her best no, no. susan duff was not you're correct <laughs> like oh my god but like am i wrong like this like if this were real life i do not trust Stu wolf to do the valiant thing and to be oh, a nice oh, absolutely guy not. God, at no. the end when he shows up he's like yeah i'm sober now because this 15 year old child told me yeah. i was a drunk like obsessed with that he's like this 15 year old girl was mean to me and also it's like sober. it's been a week for real <laughs> literally he's like yeah she was mean to me and it made me reevaluate my life I'm no longer an addict. It's like, I, 
Stu, hello? Like, I, I'm pretty sure that's not exactly how it works, but okay. Like, yeah, I, it's like, did you even do like a, a single step of a 12-step program yet? Like, No. He it's just a very said, Disney thing yes. too, to be like, like, yes, he's completely clean now. Yeah, it's, Addiction it's is a one and done thing. Way of seeing things, especially this era of Disney, where we were just a few years removed from the uh, Jonas Brothers, Miley Cyrus purity ring era. Yes. Oh my God, yes. Completely. And I mean, you also have to think about the fact that like, this is a Disney movie where they allow two girls to run around New York. <laughs> Completely unsupervised. Hey, no, her dad except is for her dad. stalking them with his famous dog, which with, is- Yeah, they, they never get into why the dog is famous. Yeah, he's on really TV. He, he's had a few contracts. He's booked and busy. He's like the Uggy of his time. Yes. Oh my God. Remember but, when I found out that Uggy died and I cried? That was really sad. Honestly, that was very sad. <laughs> a king ripped to a king gone too ripped soon. to a king but but like and my favorite is when lola says oh because oh, ella's like there's a man following us as she has a right to be freaked out about and lola goes oh, the crime rate in new york is going down and i'm like it might be going down but you also could totally get murdered right now <laughs> yeah Lola's like, this is Giuliani's New York now. So they walk so much. They walk so much. And that poor dog has to just follow them around. (laughs) And they're wearing heels and it's rained and they're all wet. Yeah. And they thought, what was it? 67 blocks or something insane like that? Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Because I'm watching this and I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're filming this down the street from my office. (laughs) Like I've lived this life. Didn't see me stew wolves though. No, nobody found in a trash can. Hopefully, I and it's just like so funny. Like Lola, just like at one point, I'm just like, just tell her that it's your dad. Like right now, when he's following you, and let him just like walk with you or something. Yeah, like honestly, having the conflict while you're all wet and walking around in heels on the street, like, would be a lot better than in the police station when he has to come pick you up because you're hanging out with a drunk man. Yeah. in public like I understand she has dug this hole for herself and she also is delusional and is completely just like obsessed with herself and the idea of being this perfect and like iconic you know person like she wants to be an actress that's her whole thing she loves the theater you know yes to the, to the point where she gets really mad when Ms. Bagoli is like we're updating yeah she she is all about like the sanctity of like original things i'm like that's such a boring take like who the fuck cares what george bernard shaw thinks like let me have fun (laughs) yeah no she's watching the sexy revival of oklahoma oh my god storming out hated sexy oklahoma she could not she's like ripping the furniture in her house like she's ripping like frames off the walls she's like ripping down mirrors she's like when they turning over chairs food at intermission of sexy oklahoma she rioted she like somebody like offered her something and she went no and like flipped over a tray you know in dramatic flipped fashion over the pot of chili literally. Yeah. <laughs> like that's exactly what happened but yeah i just don't understand the need to like to be like yeah my dad's dead oh yeah this man following us it's like not a stalker i'm gonna go talk to him i know my new york which she says at least twice yeah, like, like new and- yorkers can handle anything new yorkers know how to get out of trouble new yorkers the- i'm like you're 15 you are 15 you do not know anything about new york <laughs> literally 
Like, really? You don't know the real New York. The real New York, you know, is probably going to like Applebee's in Times Square, sweetie. Like, that's it. And she like, and you know, she was stuck within a very specific subset of New York. She like, it's not like she's going all over the boroughs. Like the, none of that's happening. Okay. Like I, you literally make me believe it. She is hanging out at FAO Schwartz and playing on a big piano. <laughs> Meeting her friends at the Olive Garden. But I, yeah. And like the whole thing with like running around with a grown drunk man. My favorite though is like, I do like the idea of her meeting Stu Wolf, the man that has changed her life, right? To the point where like when they break up, she is like wearing, like she looks like she has joined the black parade. She's wearing that like military coat with the iconic like sheer sleeves. I love that jacket. It has stuck with me forever. I need it immediately. Um, They're having a fucking vigil at school. Like somebody actually died and they're like, gonna let go of balloons and everything which the balloon I, gag is funny the which, balloon gag got so good yeah it's I laughed very too. funny um it's also funny because it's like i feel like lola absolutely is the type of person who like pretend to care about like the straws and turtles and stuff but then oh would like let loose a couple of balloons you know in a dramatic fashion oh, not yeah. thinking about the environmental impact but yeah so like sid arthur is so important to her and then she meets sue wolf and of course he's like completely a drunk and just like is incoherent he wants nothing to really do with whatever they're getting into he doesn't care and then like when they have a conversation back at the party because he goes through this weird thing where he's really drunk i would say like drunk off his ass then they go to the police station they're not there that long presumably and suddenly he's sober by the time they have to leave and then they go to the party and he's drunk again (laughs) like someone like he didn't have a banana bag or anything like i'm like how did this happen He's just back and forth. He's just up and down all night long in terms of like sober levels. And like they had that conversation and she's talking about like what inspired you when you wrote this song. And he's like- Behind some doors, people people are are waiting waiting to to sparkle. sparkle, That specific line. And he like has no idea what she's talking about. He's basically like, I don't remember. Right. And it's like then like- her whole like illusion of him being the Shakespeare of his time shatters and I'm just like girl you didn't which see is, this before yeah which is wild because when they were in the diner he also was just like drooling on himself practically like right. couldn't con- couldn't form a coherent sentence and it wasn't like she she didn't have that realization then meanwhile Ellis sitting next to her and is like this man is a drunk <laughs> literally right. and I I do love that like this again a reason why this movie is a time capsule is like when um Carla Santini is like we didn't see you at the party and like she clearly saw them at the party like there were they didn't take pictures there was no like proof like they it was carla does pull out her chunky digital camera yeah Yeah. and like they're like but lola and ella didn't have anything and i'm like girls you should have you should have brought something to have receipts because all they had was the t-shirt remember it was like yeah like they kept one of his t-shirts or something and then he had a necklace right like he has the necklace Yes, that was Which, the other like, thing. Is how the movie ends, but like, and literally, I have coveted that necklace for. Oh yeah, years. it's great. From the moment I saw yeah. it on screen to this day, I'm like, I want that Coke bottle cap necklace. If this movie like came out now, TikTok would be all over it right oh, now. Oh yeah, I, I'm going to go to Burbank and break into the Walt Disney archives because I know they archive everything. They have put at that least in the Planet one. Hollywood. <laughs> they have at least one replica of that necklace 
I'm willing to make it. I will make it, but I will do the bedazzled Marilyn Monroe version. There are some on Etsy. Oh, nice. I'm going to honestly, I I didn't even think of Etsy. I'm into it. But like I said, bedazzled version that she wears in the fantasy sequence. I would wear that one. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I I would make a whole investigative journalism think piece podcast whatever about tracking down the necklace just like they had to track down the ruby slippers in the wizard of oz yes. like this this is your are finding richard simmons <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it's really funny too that whole megan fox like carla santini moment where she's like going on about how you weren't at the party and it's like there's three people listening like, yeah, like, and it's who cares? her and her girls and then Ella and Lola. And then there's like one moment where like maybe someone in the background turns and looks at them, but like nobody's listening to this conversation. Even if they are, they don't care. And then it's like immediately after there's a scene at their like final rehearsal where first of all, Lola in a complete amateur move is like, Miss Bugoli, I took the dress. And it's like, and yeah. Miss Bugoli is like, I don't believe you. And then she's like, oh, well, I, you know, and then gets mad about it, of course. She, I'm because- like, girl, you cried wolf one too many times. You yeah, and like, why are that. you telling on yourself yeah. like this? It's such and a strange thing. The only thing I could think of was it was her trying to save face and being like, well, I took the dress because I went to New York. And then that, and she's doing it in front of all the theater people who already aren't really privy to whatever's happened. They don't care. Yeah. They don't know this information. Like, is it her trying to like, be like, actually, I did go, and this is me like trying to get out ahead of it, but it like doesn't work because then Carla basically repeats what she said before, but this time to a bigger group of people. Yeah. Also, it it comes out eventually in this part that she's been lying about her name. She's been doing a little Christine Ladybird yes. person over here. Yeah, I, that was my that was my letterbox review, which got no likes. And I was very sad because I thought it was very funny. I think I wrote the exact same thing when I watched it a few months ago, literally, because it was like so apparent to me. Yeah. Like it Greta is not Gerwig, just like Greta Gerwig watched this movie and was influenced, as were we all. It's not just that like, she goes by the a car, different they're name. doing it. Yeah. It's the thing of like your name is Mary, like, like I'm no, going not. to call you Mary, you know, kind of a thing. And and the way that she goes up to Miss Bagoli when she's about to introduce her and is like, actually, my name is Lola. Um, it's the name that um, people called me from the moment that I was squealing in my mother's arms. You know, it's like, it like literally does like a Christine Lady Bird, you know, move. Um, like when Lady Bird is in the theater about to audition and he asks her, you know, it's your name. And she says, Lady Bird. And he said, he says, is that your given name? And she says, <laughs> it's my name. It's given to me, me by, by me. me. So yeah, I, I thought of yeah, that. Lola Step. Lady Bird McPherson, Kylo Ren. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Identical. It's true. It's also just like so funny that like you really think about it too. Like half this half the problems in this movie along with like the the picture stuff could be solved by having a phone or things like that. It could also yeah. be solved by having a cell phone or even making a call on a pay phone. Literally. But they didn't think Which, about that. They like lose no. the money and they're like, okay, well this is what we're doing. I'm like, Lola. I- and that to me isn't fashionable as a person who is constantly checking to make sure I have my wallet, I have my ID every single time I go out. Like I am like, do I have it? Oh no. Like yes. if I don't, I need to reevaluate and find it. But she literally is just like, yeah, we're good. I know my New York. <laughs> literally. And then they go and then it's like, oh, we don't have the money. It's like, yeah, Lola, because you're careless. <laughs> Why would you put the money in your makeup bag anyway? You have to like dig it out. Like, do you not have a wallet or anything? A purse? 
Like what is going on? I don't, also, can I just say relevant to that? Why I understand the impulse to get all fancy because you're seeing your favorite band, but nobody else at this concert is dressed like that. They are literally all in jeans and t-shirts and Lola comes in here in this little red dress and Ella's in here with her little flapper get up. Yeah. Yes. Like literally like she is Zelda Fitzgerald who she did play at some point. I like literally it's like ornate, it's beaded. There's a lot, like I love the red dress. I love the purple dress. They're beautiful. The costumes in this movie, gorgeous. Except for the the baby doll dress. Rent free in my head. Yeah. They're incredible on every level, but that does not make any practical sense for a concert like that. And I, you know, I guess in a sense, it does make sense that like a teenager would think like, oh, I need to be an adult. So I'm going to wear this really fancy dress or whatever. Yeah. But like also heels, we're going with heels. You're really going to wear that the entire concert. Like the fact that they are I would walking never. around barefoot for half yeah. a movie is what makes. I know because like, that is the least realistic thing yeah, about that's this what movie in a movie full of unrealistic things. Like actually. Those piggies would be out to market immediately. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Literally. I have just experienced this walking in heels around the streets of Toronto. It's not great. I would literally never. You can pay me. And they get wet. They get wet. And when shit gets oh. wet, you start getting blisters and shit. Oh. Like in those shoes that are absolutely vinyl shoes. Yes. Yeah. They're tight and there's no give whatsoever. Blister City. Are you kidding me? There should those be a scene are not breathing. where they those steal band-aids from a CVS or something. Literally. Um, be a shopper's drug mart, actually. Because <laughs> it's a gift. True. Oh, my God. Um, do we have anything else we would like to uh, mention in this in regards to this movie? I feel like I, we've, done, we've covered a lot of ground. Oh, I, I think Ella is an absolute queen. Yes, she's so, I was going to say, yeah, she's so good. Alison Pill is actually like really good at like playing the awkward best friend. Like she does a really good job of it. And it's like uncomfortable at points. And I'm like, damn, you're doing a good job. And she deserves better round. friends than Lola. Yes, she yes. does. Oh, 100%. That friendship is like highly toxic on every level because it's like Ella is a reasonable you know, mostly rational person who is just trying her best. She's a little scared. That's okay. And maybe she needs to be pushed out of her comfort zone or whatever. But like Lola is constantly getting into situations that are unfathomable that like the kind of stuff that like, if a friend did that, you would not speak to them again, like constantly getting them into trouble. And it's all Lola's fault. And then she's like, Ella, you need to liven up. You need to live a little basically for half the movie. And then when she like finds out she's lying, she's like, it's not a big deal. It's like, like, why are you being so uncool right now? You know, basically. And it's like, you were a horrible friend. She does not deserve you. And then she gives her that big speech at the end about like her making her be brave or whatever. And it's basically like, if this were an LGBT like teen rom-com, this would be the moment where she's like, I'm in love with you. I'm coming out, you know, like whatever. Which honestly, I would like to see an updated version of this where that does happen because Ella is clearly in love with Lola, but that's besides the point. Lesbian icon, Ella Gerard. Let's write it. (laughs) Reboots are a thing. Let's do it. Let me call up Mr. Chapek and say, I have several ideas for you for your Disney Plus streaming service. And this is number one. Honestly, a little series over this would be cute. It's true. Yeah, I mean, if they still have the rights, like- Let's and there's do it. a sequel book. 
I read the sequel book too. There you go. Iconic. Exactly. It's where Ella runs for class president. <gasps> wow. Who would entrust Against her? Carla Santini. Who would entrust oh her? God. And basically it's like Lola, like basically wants to use Ella as like a puppet ruler. <gasps> mm, that makes sense. So, she's, so it's a puppet, puppet government. <laughs> yeah. I always said pupper government. Oh God. <laughs> pupper government is just like a dog running it. Woof woof. You know it's what? It's just like we rate dogs running the government. Oh God, no, please. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Um, oh, um, my one final thought. Yes. It's related to Sam. Hmm. Dry toast jost, if you will. There is a shot where we're where they're telegraphing that. Lola thinks Sam is cute because they do a prolonged shot of his butt and then they cut to Lola's face and it's kind of like, mm, you know? And meanwhile, it is the flattest ass on record. <laughs> it's like, never mind the fact that this is a teenager and I'm looking at this. Um, the fact that like, it is not even a round butt. That's what really gets my goat. I think it's like, you have the audacity to do a butt shot of anybody and i'm this doesn't just apply to this movie i'm saying if you're showing a butt in any way shape or form there better be a little bit of a lift and a give to it okay i i like roundness if you need me to like come inspect your movie for body doubles anything like that to assure that we get like a good butt shot i'll do it i'm available (laughs) but this movie clearly did not have that and that is why it fails on that level I can't. My final thought is Lola's dad, hot. Hot, hot dad. She's oh, yeah, a hot dad. I get it, yeah. Very hot He's dad. nice. He's a nice man. He's got a dog. He seems very reasonable. I know. I would, He. I, you know, I'm a good stepmom. Call me up. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> I'd be a great stepmom. I have to big stepmother. Stepdaughter like Lola. Yeah, that's true. I would, <laughs> I would be like Meredith in the parent trap for sure. To quote myself, I'm not afraid to be somebody's stepmom. <laughs> Literally. I think that that I would I have big stepmom energy. Um, this movie is very fun. I it's great. I love it. It's extremely silly. Yeah. And it's a fun time. It's something that I watched and I'm like, I know why I loved this when it came out yes. because I was nine years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you watch it now and you're like, okay, maybe this movie is not as good as I remember it, but it gets points for nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. Like me as an 11 year old, like I was like, yeah, this fucking rocks, you know? Yeah. This is a movie that I think if you watch it as a child, it's like even the glaring issues, you're like, this is charming. This is fun. Like yes. I'm having a great I time. I think if you watch this for the first time, you'd be like, what the fuck is this? Now, if you love like weird, messy artifacts, I think this is for you. Like if you love a weird kind of campy time and you love a good Lindsay Lohan moment, I think, yes, you will find enjoyment in this. But it's very much like, I think mostly for most people, I think it'd be like a a hocus pocus thing. Cause like I've, this is where I go on record. I have never watched hocus pocus in full. I didn't watch it as a child. As an adult, I have tried to watch it. I just don't find anything entertaining about it. I don't care about it. And it shocks people. And I'm like, listen, I don't care if you like it. I don't care if you watch it. I don't care if you post about it from August to fucking November as people do on Facebook every single year. I don't find any enjoyment in it because it was made for kids. And because the movie itself, the quality of it isn't really that great. So what I'm viewing is a product that most people have really like 
raise the expectations for it because it's like they viewed it in childhood so it's special to them it means a lot to them so they're viewing it through nostalgia glasses and not only that like i said the expectations have been so high i finally watched it and i'm like this is something that's only enjoyed in childhood honestly like it's fine. I appreciate Kenny Ortega. I appreciate Bette Miller's yeah. work. You know, Sarah Jessica Parker, iconic. Um, Kathy Jimmy, lover. Peggy Hill. But like, summer. Yeah, and also it. Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen fans do not make this movie their entire personality. No, that's and that's why it's a step above in that sense. I don't make it my entire personality. I'm not going over here like yelling about how it's a girl. And I fully acknowledge the things that do not work about it. Like, I'm like, this movie is like unbelievable. It doesn't work necessarily. But like, there's enjoyable things there. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. I think people who like this movie are like, it's not a good movie. Do yeah. I enjoy it? Yes. Hell yeah, exactly. Um, okay, and this week's What the Plot, Emma's going to guess the plot to The Basketball Diaries. Um, would you like anything or do you want to just go for it? I'll just go for it. So I know this movie has a young teen idol, Leonardo DiCaprio. He's mm-hmm. the only person on the poster from what I can tell. So yeah fully uh he, it looks like he's wearing some kind of private school jacket so i'm assuming he's like on the varsity basketball team at this fancy i'm gonna guess an all boys school because like school ties dead poet society i think we were into those boy boarding school dramas at that time and he's just he's playing basketball he's maybe feeling the pressure maybe he's like a bit of a Troy Bolton where basketball is not maybe his thing, but he's just so good at it. Or like his dad's the coach, or maybe his dad was big into basketball and he's crushed under the, the expectations of his family or his coach. And I guess he, he also has a diary because that's in the title. And that's really all I got. It's just, he's playing basketball. He, feels like maybe he doesn't belong and he has a diary and maybe maybe by the end he overcomes it and like tells dad that like I don't want your life like it's a varsity blues kind of situation it is interesting you say this because this movie is fully about um a teen developing like a heroin addiction I have never seen this movie but I've been reading the wikipedia and I am shocked there's a lot happening it is unbelievable but basically it's uh based upon um it's it's auto it's based on an autobiographical novel of the same name um by jim carroll who is as far as i can tell or was an author and a punk musician and he also like was a poet and and things like that um but (laughs) the basic quick quick like quibby of the summary here is it tells the story of Carol's teenage years as a promising high school basketball player and writer who develops an addiction to heroin. So he does write. There are diaries of some sort. I was like looking through it. And at one point there's like a brief, like, like they like hold up, like a, they like do a hold up. They're like holding people at gunpoint and stuff. Wild. So this, this is less varsity blues and more like spring breakers. Yeah. Yeah, in that vein. Um, also, like, his friend is, like, dying of leukemia. 
Um, oh. He gets into mischief with his friends. Okay, uh, so so we got a little sisterhood of the traveling pants in there too. They're taking pills. Uh, they're getting suspended, you know, and then like basically they're living as like homeless addicts, and like it's a lot. It's you know, actually, I would say it's more beautiful boy. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 that's true. There's a I mean, lot going you could on. say that Timothy Chalamet is the Leonardo DiCaprio of his generation. Yeah. I'm yeah, I'm not going to disagree and you know there's there's a lot to be said about that. But I do I mean they they out, both have fancy boy names. Fancy boy. Yeah, they do. One's French, one's Italian in a sense. Um but yeah. yeah, they both got that little like vaguely European je ne sais quoi. Yeah. <laughs> There's also the fact that like, you know, the floppy hair at a young age, you know, but I yeah. do want to read the rest of this cast because it is unbelievable. So you yeah, have, I have no idea who else is in this. Bruno because... Kirby is in this movie. Lorraine Bracco is in this movie. Ernie Hudson, Michael Imperioli and Mark Wahlberg. And Juliette Lewis, like it's like Juliette Lewis. Yeah, she's also in this movie. I like cannot believe this. It's this like Mark Wahlberg's first screen appearance. Honestly, it might be because like if this was this was a '90s movie and like Mark Wahlberg was being a rapper at that point, and you know. Um, doing horrible things to people his first role is a year before and it's called renaissance man so this was like character one of the very first it's his second film and then he does fear in 1996 and then 97 he does traveler and boogie nights wow okay so it was a quick ascent for mark Wahlberg. not dissimilar from Lindsay lohan doing her miracle run i will say i mean yeah because Uh, we didn't mention this but i think it is worth mentioning only because it is a similar thing where it's like she does get a clue freaky friday confessions of a teenage drama queen herbie fully loaded loaded back to back to back to back yeah years. yeah she was if i'm gonna put this in a metaphor for disney teen stars she was the Haley mills to hillary's annette funicello <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely, absolutely. And it's like Annette was the TV girl. Yes. And Haley was parent trap, notwithstanding. She was the film girl. Yeah. No, fully. It makes sense. I get it. I get what I'm buying what you're selling to me right now. But yeah. And it's also funny because like all those movies, I would say, didn't do well critically, but like really cemented her as like the teen idol. You know what I mean? Like really mm-hmm. like everybody loves her. I mean, to the point where she ends up getting a role in an Altman film not long after. Yeah. Wild. I mean, by the time Herbie comes out and they had to digitally reduce her boobs for the poster because this was a family film, that's yeah. when Disney's like, okay, maybe, maybe we got to sever ties now. Yeah. Also, you're like showing up to set coked out and drunk. Maybe this isn't a great, maybe we didn't right. put. Michael Rappaport is also in the past. <laughs> And on, on that note, um, besides Don Bluth's filmography and um, Standing Gelatoni, our fave, um, is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. You can request to follow me on Twitter at Emma underscore Chapel. And you can also read my stuff on Medium. I haven't written there lately, but I have a lot of stuff there that I've written previously that you can read. 
And I don't know if we can plug other podcasts on here, but I was a guest on this podcast called Wait You What with Erica Mallet, who is, um, I believe she's a former radio DJ in Australia, where she basically messaged me on Instagram and asked me to be a guest on her podcast, where I talk about having Crohn's disease. And it was a really great time. I hope it's super informative for anybody who's kind of wondering what is Crohn's disease. Yeah. So check that out if you want to give it a lesson. I love that. Nice. We'll link that too. Yes. We can link all these things. Um, And as far as our social media goes, you can follow us on Twitter at blessedpick and on Instagram at blessed.picture. You can join our discord. um, Brand new. Yes. I'm really bad about talking to people on the internet so the um, link should be in our link tree on instagram and twitter where all of our other links are um yeah there's i don't i think it's pretty easy to join i don't i think i have it set pretty much so that anybody can join whenever i don't think i put an expiration date on it if it's not working and you're trying to join please uh message the podcast Twitter we or Instagram and I will we will fix that situation immediately um, and um you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts Spotify Pocketcast, Overcast please rate and review on Apple Podcasts um recommend us to your friends that you would like to go see a Sid Arthur concert with and lie to everybody about everything that's all I got behind some doors people are waiting to sparkle Eliza rocks. (laughs) She does. She sure does. Now she's.